Welcome to the At TSN Hockey Every Other Friday Bobcast, featuring the original hockey insider, Bob McKenzie. Hey, that's me, answering your questions on hockey or just about anything else, within reason, of course. If you have a question you would like answered, email me at bobcast at bellmedia.ca. That's B-O-B-C-A-S-T at bellmedia.ca. And we'll try to get it on the Bobcast. We were a blowout of wicked proportions, an accidental company. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the At TSN Hockey Bobcast. This one for Friday, March 9th. 2018. This would be season two, episode 13, lucky number 13 for those of you who keep track of such things. And I, it is with great pleasure that uh, I announce this is the official Accept No Substitutes Mail It In March edition of the Bobcast. Mail It In March. I love Mail It In March. The only guy who loves Mail It In March more than me is Jeff O'Neill, the O-Dog. He likes to mail it in every day. Anyways, um, I guess I should explain a little bit what exactly I mean by mail it in March because I don't know that I actually want you to get the idea that I'm a no good for nothing lazy dog f***er who doesn't do any work for an entire month. I mean, I'm not that bad. But I've always believed there's a certain rhythm to the 10-month work year, which is what I'm on, by the way. A 10-month work year, July and August, is a no-fly zone. No. Do it month, month, month by month. September is a wash. I mean, you've got the anticipation of another hockey season. There's excitement. But it's kind of the month where you ease into things a little bit. I mean, you, you don't want to leave your A game in training camp. October's fantastic. Real games that count. A brand new season. A blank canvas to be filled with a bunch of new stories. So October's a really exciting month. Now, November for me starts to ramp up and get a little more difficult. That's when on top of all my normal NHL BS all my try-to-break-news, see what's going on in the NHL. That's where the preparation starts for the World Junior Championship. So I go to the cross-country Russia versus the WHL, the OHL, the QMJHL. I start to travel more. I start to serve two masters, the World Juniors and the National Hockey League. And then it gets into December. Now, December's a really festive, fun month because of Christmas, obviously. But the dual sort of World Junior Championship and NHL track gets even more frantic. And by the middle of the month... I'm pretty much out of the NHL, fully invested in the World Juniors right through until, um, well, I guess the end of the first week of January. Now, now, once the World Juniors are over, for the balance of January, it's time to relearn the NHL, but also do the big deep dive on the NHL draft, because as everybody knows, end of January, we come up with the TSN midseason draft ranking. So you've got to identify, rank, learn about all these guys. It's like cramming for an exam, because quite frankly, I don't, yeah, I don't know nearly as much about these draft guys as people think I do. And uh, you've got to rely on the expertise from the scouts. So anyways, that takes you through to the end of January, and it's real busy. Now we get into February, and the whole month of February, nothing but Trade Center. Trade Center all the time. It's like a month-long run-up to the trade deadline. No goofy rumor goes unchecked. Every time a player gets scratched from a game, it sets off widespread panic. You've got to make phone calls. Is that guy being traded? Is he just hurt? Is he a healthy scratch? And by the time the day after trade deadline rolls around at the end of March, beginning of, sorry, the end of February, beginning of March, you feel pretty much empty, used, abused, drained, and, and that's it. So, I, and I'm not going to lie that that three month run in particular, December, January, and February, gets a little grueling. Now, if by grueling I mean, it's a relative term. 
And and I know my job has no heavy lifting. It's all indoors, and you can do it for a good long time. So I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying, by my standards, that's a grueling three-month stretch. So now let's skip March for a second. We'll come back to mail it in March. April, I love April. It's a beautiful time. Spring has sprung. The winter's over. I know it's un-Canadian to say this, but I hate winter and I hate it more with each passing year especially now that I'm into my 60s but it's playoffs baby so I mean it's so exciting that's what we all work towards all season long is the the joy of playoff hockey that said April and May again are relatively speaking very demanding months not many days off lots of late nights you get overtime games on the west coast game you've got to get up the next day because what happens in April too a lot of coaches getting fired a lot of managers getting fired a lot of guys getting hired you got to get up work the news all day work the games at night and that gets real busy through the month of April and May and then you get to June it's quite literally the um the absolute busiest month of the year more travel more work more frantic than any month, and it's not even close. Uh, the Stanley Cup final is awesome, but it's a lot of travel and it's busy. Then it's the final draft rankings. That's real busy. Then it's the Vegas for the NHL awards. I know, I know. Feel sorry for me. Then it's the NHL draft, which is hectic. Then it's you know the trades at the draft and what might happen on the draft floor. And then the week between the draft and free agent frenzy is all the stuff that's going to happen in terms of free agent frenzy. So it's nuts. And everything, of course, culminates with... Free Agent Frenzy Day on July 1st, and then on July 2nd, everything comes screeching to a halt. A really good halt vacation, man. Two months of it, nine weeks if you want, frozen margaritas for absolutely everybody. Now, let's get back to mail it in March. That's the month where you catch your breath a little bit. That's the month where there's less likely to be really big news stories to be chased. And there are really only two responsibilities in the month of March for me. Watch a lot of hockey games and report on the injuries. Um, and by all means, during March, you always need to have in your mind exactly how many days or weeks until the playoffs begin. I, I mean, that's when you, if a player gets injured and they say it's two to four weeks, you got to know right away, is it two to four weeks of the playoffs yet? So all the injuries, you start off with day-to-day, um, although people lie all the time, but you've got your day-to-day which is usually, if you're using the Mike Babcock rule, seven to ten days or less. It can actually really actually be day-to-day. It could be two or three days, but day-to-day will sometimes stretch out longer than a week. Then you get your, your two-to-four-week injury. Then you get your four-to-six-week injury. Then you get your six-to-eight-week injury. Six-to-eight-week injury in mail in March is really bad because now you're flirting with not being ready for, for the playoffs. Um, and two-to-four weeks and four-to-six weeks I mean, there can be a three to five, I guess. There could be a five to seven, but usually everybody uses two to four and four to six. And a two to four is usually four weeks, and a four to six at this time of the year is usually four weeks. So just about anybody who gets injured significantly in the month of March is out four weeks. And if you, you, you backdate to when the playoffs are, um, you know whether that guy's going to be ready or not. So, so that's basically it, other than keeping an eye on which coaches and general managers might be in peril once the season is over in April. So mail it in March is really sort of a relative term. It doesn't mean you do nothing in March. Um, But if you're working as hard as you did in December, January, and February, or as hard as you're going to be working in April, May, and June, well, then you're doing mail it in March all wrong. Now, I must admit, this Bobcast edition of mail it in March takes it to a whole new level. 
Because even though I said this is the Friday, March 9th edition of the Bobcast right off the top, I'm actually not recording it on March 9th. This is actually being recorded on Thursday, March 1st. That's because if you're listening today, March 9th, I'm actually at the Gansevoort Resort Villas in Turks and Caicos, and my wife and her brother and her sisters and their significant others, we all have a reservation at Coco Bistro tonight at 6.30, which is a really outstanding restaurant in Providencial. Uh, Turks and Caicos, by the way, is as beautiful a place on earth as exists. It's got the most incredible beaches and water you've ever seen. This is my third visit to Turks, and it was my pal... Little Jimmy Duffy, who recommended it, and if Jimmy knows anything, um, he knows vacationing. So um, my five-day mini-vacation, if you want to call it that, ends this Sunday. Um, but even in mail and in March, I, uh, I don't normally get a holiday like this, unless you count the general manager's meeting in Boca later this month, when I get there a little bit early to scout out the Boca Beach Club to make sure that the premises are safe before Darren Dreger and Pierre Lebrun and the general managers arrive. Um, But this year, there was a little bit of a freakish five-day period where I didn't have a lot of in-game or studio responsibilities. So um, here I am in Turks, a little slice of heaven. And uh, just picture me right now sitting oceanside uh, at my lovely villa, living like a king that I'm not really. Uh, Beautiful oceanfront villa, having a Bambera rum. Bambera rum, by the way, is the uh, local delicacy of uh, Turks and Caicos. And I'm having a Bambera rum and uh, sitting down by the oceanfront. And if you want any idea of what this looks like, just check out my Instagram account for how beautiful it is and how much I'm enjoying this little mini vacation. Now, I suppose I could have taken the time and the effort to try and do the Bobcast from Turks. But in the spirit of mail it in March, screw that. So if you're looking for a really topical hockey talk, all the latest and greatest news that's happened over this past week, well, boy, did you come to the wrong place. Because if it happened in the last week, I don't even know about it right now, this being the first day of March. So let's call this the Bobby Backlog Edition of the Bobcast, because pretty much all the questions I'm going to answer today are submissions that I've, I've been sitting on for a long time, since either 2016 when we first launched the Bobcast, or maybe 2017. I don't think we even have a question here from calendar year 2018. So let's uh, see if we can't clean up the archives a little bit here, get some of these questions answered for our loyal Bobcast listeners. So away we go. And um, hey, listen, if you need a moment to go get yourself a tropical adult beverage, you can, with or without an umbrella, and you can pretend you're here in Turks with me, go get it right now. I'll give you 30, 40 seconds and... Uh, We'll listen to some uh, appropriate music. Nibbling on sponge cake Watching the sun bake All of those tourists covered with oil Drumming my six string on my front porch swing. Smell of shrimp there beginning to boil. Wasting away again in Margarita Bay. 
Okay, um, I've got my drink. I hope I hope you've got yours, and uh, let's get started here. Before we get to some questions, a little bit of listener feedback. We always like to uh, get that from our listeners. Uh, so the first one comes from Dwight Sampson in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. Hi, Bob. I'm a little late to the pod- uh, podcast party. I only started listening to any podcast a couple of years ago with Bill Burrs being my first. Same for me, by the way. And now his, yours, and Ray Ferraro's are my staples with a few other thrown in. Got to say, I really enjoy yours and it's low-key conversational tone. Thanks for doing this. You've got a fan here and I imagine lots of others too. I heard you speak of Ireland and went to add that my mother is Irish descent and I visited a few times, including the old homestead in Mullamore County, Sligo. Uh, incredible scenery and a feeling of a link to something from the past I hadn't felt before. Good to hear about you speak of the old country. I heard your podcast last month when you spoke about the TV series you enjoyed and thought of two others you may like too if you haven't already seen them. A British one called Shetland I saw last year. I think you could really get into it. Thinking of your appreciation of crime dramas, stunningly beautiful scenery and a gritty feel, plus that Scottish accent that adds to the urgency. Another is an American miniseries called Show Me a Hero that was first shot a few years ago that deals with a housing development in Yonkers, New York, in the late 1980s, early 1990s period. Not an action-packed one, but one I think you'd appreciate nonetheless. Only six episodes, so not a long-time investment, but I think worth it. Totally agree on your call on Vikings. It was one of the few series I watched from the beginning and loved it and still do. Keep up the good work, mate. That from Dwight in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. Well, thank you very much, Dwight. Um, I will put Shetland. I've always seen Shetland, and I've never gotten around to actually clicking on it and watching it, so I will do that. I will also check out Show Me a Hero. That sounds interesting, albeit different than what I usually listen to. Uh, yes, love Vikings, waiting for the uh, the next season to come back. Um, and the, I'm on to one right now. If Again, it's only for those who who don't mind subtitles or listening to dubbed uh, European shows. It's called Babylon Berlin. It's kind of dark and gritty like a lot of these shows, but um, I really enjoy it. And I actually... These shows, I can't watch them if they're dubbed because it drives me crazy if the if the audio doesn't match up with the, the way the actors are moving their mouth. So I always go subtitles and it, it works for me. Uh, next listener email comes from Peter McKinney in Beaconsfield, Quebec. Dear Mr. McKenzie, you can call me Bob Peter by all means. Your recommendation on Peaky Blinders got me to finally watch it. My wife and I binged on all four seasons over the last two and a half weeks usually two episodes per night, occasionally three. As a return favor to you, in case you do not already know, and you likely do laugh out loud, we've enjoyed on Netflix Dark and Mindhunter, both very crafty and suspenseful. Also on Amazon Prime Video, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, so very funny. Other streaming service I use is Sundance, which has many good indie films. All the best. Keep up the great work. Peter McKinney from Beaconsfield. Okay, Peter, um... I don't have time for Amazon Prime. I'm, I'm overwhelmed by Netflix. Uh, I, once I get through all of that, maybe I'll branch out, but uh, probably only after I retire. Same deal with Sundance. Um, to your uh, recommendations, Mindhunter, I've already seen it. I love it. Also, uh, Manhunt, Unabomber is a great one I've recommended before for people that want uh, in on the, the same sort of thing as Mindhunter, the, the whole FBI profiling and the birth of it. And I've heard many people recommend to me Dark, so I'm going to put that on the list along with Shetland as things I have to check out. Uh, third and final listener email. This one's a little more serious, Vane. Uh, this one comes from Nicholas 
Nickel Nick B is wait a second here. Let's look at his name here. Yep, Nick B. Anyways, um, good evening, Bob. As I watch the Philadelphia Flyers cough up another two-goal lead to the Caps and are now down 3-2 in the second, it gave me the idea to finally email you. I live in the States, and you could consider me a hockey junkie. I love to play, read, listen, and watch the game 24 hours a day. It's a great escape, and I'm fortunate to have the game in my life. I play in a league with a great bunch of guys, and they are my brothers. We are a tight team, and like any great team, everyone has an important role, and it's really special. I'm even lucky enough to play with my brother and my 65-year-old father once a week in competitive pickup. It's a great way to spend time together. Seeing the awesome support that Bell uh, seeing the awesome support that Bell lets talk by everyone is a great way to let people know it's okay to talk about mental health. Seeing this is the real reason I wanted to email you, it's embarrassing to try to explain to loved ones, friends and peers mental health problems. I've been suffering from depression, ADAD and anxiety for a long time. I'm married now and have a child. And sometimes it gets overwhelming. It's hard to cope with how I feel, an emotional roller coaster. And it's hard for me to explain, even to the loved ones, how I'm feeling. I've had professional help in the past, and some treatments have helped, others not so much. I just wanted to personally thank you for all your articles, radio hits, and podcasts. They really keep me focused and excited about the next week in the season and the bright future of the league and its players. Many of my closest friends and family don't know that I struggle with mental health, And I just wanted to share my story with you so that maybe someone listening understands that they're not alone and there are so many great avenues to explore and the right support is out there. Sometimes you just have to find the right support that fits you. Great job, as always, Bob, my brother, my father and I were looking for you during our visit to Toronto during the World Cup a couple of years back, but we only ran into Boreas Salming during our Hall of Fame visit Got a picture with him. He's a class act. Looking forward to your continued support of not just hockey, but life and all that it has to offer. Cheers, Nick B. What a, uh, what a great piece of correspondence from, uh, from Nick B. And, I mean, he goes to Toronto for the World Cup. He's looking for me, and he runs into Boreas Salming, and he says, I only got to see Boreas Salming. You only got to see a Hall of Famer, the King, the Viking himself. That's awesome. So, anyways, to, to Nick B. and to everybody... Uh, there's a great message there, obviously, and, and there are a lot of people who do have their struggles. So if you do, try and find, as Nick said, the uh, the proper avenue to try and get yourself uh, feeling as, as well as you possibly can. All righty then, let's get to some uh, questions here. Let's clean out the archives. Uh, let's go back, uh, the deep dive, all the way back to this one came in on Wednesday, October 12th, 2016 from Jay. Hello, Bob. How invested are you in the analytics side of hockey? There seem to be a lot of instances uh, that a player's goals, assist, age, contract, cap, etc. might be mentioned. But do you invest a heavy amount of time in more advanced stats, such as Corsi, zone starts, matchups? I know that you mentioned the fancy stats and the analytics community every now and again, but do you go out of your way to see a player or team's advanced statistics. Thanks for this, and good luck with the Bobcast. So this would have probably been right when we started, like the first week of the Bobcast. So, well, we're still doing one anyway, so I guess good luck worked out. Anyways, uh, to Jay's point, here's the thing. Um, I'm not at all opposed to what I call fancy stats or analytics. 
Um, I think more information is, is, is good. The more information, the better. And um, I try to be somewhat aware or cognizant of them, but here's the reality. I'm, I'm not really wired that way. When I watch, a, if I'm watching a game, honestly, I, I don't want to, I, I don't even want to look up somebody's points during the game. I just want to watch the game. Um, so I'm probably the ultimate eye, eye guy as opposed to analytics. But I understand, like, I mean, if I was the general manager of a hockey team, I'd, I'd be hiring a huge analytics department. The more, the better. And, but it's also probably because of my age. I'm going to be 62 years old this summer. And also the nature of my job. My job doesn't really allow for an incredibly devoted amount of time to any one particular thing. I, I always jokingly refer to my job as guerrilla warfare, that I spend a little time on a lot of things as opposed to a lot of time on a bunch of little things. And I think if you're going to be fully invested in the whole analytic side of hockey, you need to be fully invested. And so, as I said, I make sure that on Twitter, I follow all the people who, um, from the analytics community, and as they go about their business, you can get a feel for who's good, who's bad, what the, the various issues and, and hot-button topics are in analytics versus eye test and that. I try to stay away from the, the age-old fight about eye tests versus analytics because I think it's just it's a tired, tired, tired argument. I just don't even go there anymore. And as I say, I'm not opposed to any of this. And if I ran a hockey team, I would want a lot of this. But I'm not a hockey team. I'm, I'm chasing news. I'm focused on the draft. I'm focused on World Junior Championships. I'm focused on a million different things at any given time. So I really don't have a lot of time to invest in that. And as I said, my mind's really not wired to understand it as well as I should. So I leave it to the experts, and then I just kind of cheat off their sheet. That's how I got through high school, and that's how we get through watching games vis-a-vis analytics. Next question. This one comes from Ryan N. in Saskatoon. On Thursday, December 8th, 2016, back to our first year of the Bobcast. Hi, Bob. Was the missing puck from the 2010 Stanley Cup final ever recovered after Patrick Kane's goal? I think the short answer to this question is no, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, everybody should remember that Patrick Kane scored the game-winning goal in overtime. I want to say it was game six off the top of my head. Uh, in Philadelphia, whatever they were calling the rink that day, um, because that, that re- building, the FU Center, Core States, I don't even know what the hell it is right now. Um, but in any case, um, it was one of the weirdest game-winning goals in Stanley Cup final history because half the arena never realized the puck went in the net. Bad angle shot, lodged in the back of the net. Um, Kane celebrating by himself. Half the players didn't realize. So there was a delayed celebration on the ice a little bit, other than Kane initially. Um, Philadelphia Flyer players seemed just a little dumbstruck that this had happened to them. And the fans were, at first, they just didn't know what to believe. And in in fact, I mean, we were doing, we were getting setting up to do our panel. And the Flyer fans um, who are, let's let's be very clear on this, they're very passionate. Um, and and even on the way out, it, it was like this thing was came so far to left field so quickly, and a lot of them didn't even realize how it had gone in, that it went in. 
that they just seemed dumbfounded on the way out. And there were actually some of them that, that were saying, it wasn't in. I don't think it was in. Well, it was in. But if you don't know the story, the, the puck disappeared after that. Nobody knows what happened to the puck. Google 2010 Cup Final, game-winning goal puck, and Steve Miller. Now, Steve Miller is the linesman, and many media people started, it was like the Zabruder film, going back, looking at things over the grassy knoll at the rink. Can't even call it the spectrum. I wish I could call it the spectrum, but in Philly. And um, everybody seemed to think that Steve Miller uh, pocketed the puck or was the last guy to have the puck, and he became the villain in this. And uh, the bottom line is it's still a mystery as far as I know. And uh, I jokingly talked to Stephen Walkham, the director of officiating, sometime, and I said, have you found that puck yet? And he says, nope. And then he jokingly suggested it's on his mantle, but it's not. Um, but in any case, um, that, uh, that's one for the ages, a missing puck, game-winning puck. Uh, next question comes from uh, Scott Burke, who on Friday, October the 13th, Friday the 13th in 2017 said, Hi, Bob, I'm enjoying the new season of the Bobcast, especially the questions from fans. My question comment is about the way players wear their helmets and how it relates to concussions. All through their playing careers, from Tim Butts to Junior, the players have to wear their helmets further down on their heads and with the chin straps tight along the chin. The moment they start playing in the NHL, the helmets start to ride up further up their heads and the chin strap is so loose that they might as well not be wearing one. What is your observation on how the players are wearing their helmets and how it could be relevant to concussions? Thanks for taking the time to read my question, and here's to a great hockey season. That from Scott Burke. Well, Scott, I think you make some valid observations about the where the way NHLers wear their helmets, um, and uh, and for that matter, visors. And we have in the past talked on the Bobcast about how useless some of the visors are. I mean, Leo Komarov, after a bit of a crackdown, I think it was probably last season or maybe the beginning of this one, I can't even remember, but they made him put his visor down. He wasn't very happy about it, and now it's right back up so as to not even cover his face. And yet, when they made him put it down in front of his eyes to actually protect them, he ended up taking it off for a game and then said how unhappy he was because he didn't feel right without the protection of a visor. And yet, it makes no sense because the visor is up on his forehead, slash the top of his head. Um, but in any case, um, as for helmets and concussions, I think there's a, a great misunderstanding. Um, the helmet doesn't really help with concussions. What the helmet helps with is is protecting the skull from fractures. Um, and there might be an element of, of some protection in terms of uh, protecting the brain. But the reality is many of the, the brain injuries or concussions that happen simply happen because the guy's going fast and he gets hit or stopped so suddenly or hits his head so forcefully that the brain sloshes around in the brain juice. That's not exactly the way a neurologist would put it, but I don't, I'm not a neurologist. Anyways, the brain sloshes around so hard in the juice there in your brain, it smashes up against the skull and then that's where the damage occurs. Or if it's a twisting motion where if you get hit in the jaw and the, the head twists violently, um, at the base of the brain, going down into the spinal cord, there's a whole bunch of stuff there. That's another not neurologically approved term, stuff. All these cords and neutrons and, and things there that, um, that really 
if they get stretched and, and out of whack, um, really screw up your your whole mental equilibrium and, and all the symptoms that come along with concussions. So I think, you know, it's important that NHLers should wear their helmets properly fitted for, to do the chin strap up. And there are some referees that will tell guys to tighten up the chin strap, but not very many of them. But it's more to protect against smashing your head on the ice than it is um, anything to do with concussions. Uh, a lot of the questions we get here on the Bobcast, and I don't really answer them that often. Maybe I should. I'm going to zip through a bunch of them. A lot of TSN, what I call TSN or career-related questions. This first one is from Dave. It was sent on Wednesday, November 29th, 2017, so not that long ago. Uh, Hi, Bob. I've listened to you from day one on the Bobcast, so you're obviously doing a great job. Keep it up. Quite simply, what is your proudest experience as a TSN employee or even your most memorable game or sports experience working as a TSN broadcaster? Uh, How do you think TSN hockey has fared since Rogers made the deal with the NHL to have national broadcasting rights. Love the show, Bob. Cheers, Dave. And I believe Dave is from Guelph. Okay, a um, couple of questions there. Um, proudest experience. Hmm. Well, listen, covering the World Junior Championship is great. You know I'm a bit of a draft maniac. I like doing the draft. Um, so all of those are really great. And as I always tell everybody, just being at the Stanley Cup final, always during the anthem game one, that's my Thanksgiving. Hockey Thanksgiving, I call it, when I um, think to myself how fortunate I am to have the career and the job that I have and to, to get to go to the Stanley Cup final every year. So all of those things are great. But my probably my proudest experience as a TSN employee happens twice a year. And one of them just passed recently on... Uh, on Monday, February 26th, and that was Trade Center, the latest edition of Trade Center. And there's another one coming up, obviously, on July 1, and that's Free Agent Frenzy. And the reason that I choose those two days in particular as maybe my proudest experience as a TSN employee is because I think it's where we do our best work. I think it's when the the full strength of TSN and the people that it has, and that really is the strength of TSN, when you've got a, a James Duthie and you've got a Darren Dreger and a Pierre Lebrun and a Gord Miller and Ray Ferraro and the list goes on and on. And I, I can't mention everybody, so I won't even try. Um, but, you know, Jeff O'Neill and, and the guys on the panel and and everybody else in the, the, the quiz master and, and everybody who works behind the scenes to make that happen. There are, there are just so, so many people so heavily invested for what is basically a marathon broadcasting session that starts at 8 o'clock in the morning and finishes at 6 or 7 o'clock that night. But in order to put that day on, there are literally weeks, if not months, of really intensive preparation that go into it. And it's really a, a, a day when you need to have a lot of range. So, yeah, it's great to break trades and try to be on top of the news, but you also need really top-rate analysis, and, and I don't know that there's a better analyst in, in hockey than, than Ray Ferraro. And you need a guy to be able to carry it all off with grace under pressure. And I don't think there's anybody better on television in Canada doing anything than, uh, than James Duthie. I just think he's the most talented guy on TV in Canada. And so we all get to do our thing that day and it all comes together and it's, and, and there's gotta be a lot of information. There's gotta be a lot of analysis and, but there's also gotta be some entertainment and not taking yourself too seriously and some of the stuff that we produce for a laugh and a, and a gag on deadline day really cracks me up. And a lot of that is, 
is James at the uh, at the root of it. But um, anyways, when the day's all said and done, that's when I feel proudest to be a TSN employee. And it's the same deal when we do the marathon session on July 1. I like July 1 a little bit better because as soon as July 1 is over, I'm off on vacation. But uh, those would be the... The, the the proudest moments and and as far as how do we how do I think TSN hockey has fared since Rogers made the deal with the NHL to have national broadcasting rights as most people know I think it was four years ago or thereabouts that um, TSN lost its midweek national package now keep in mind we never had hockey night in Canada we never had Saturday night games so when when hockey night in Canada rolls around on Saturday night now um, that Rogers has it as opposed to when the CBC had it. It really doesn't make any difference to me one way or the other. Um, I still get my weekends off for the most part. I get to watch Hockey Night in Canada. I enjoy it. Elliot Friedman's a good friend of mine. I watch it, enjoy it. It's great. Yeah, good on them. Um, but obviously, we don't have the national playoff rights that we used to have. We don't have national games on a Wednesday night like we used to have. So do we miss doing those? Absolutely we do. But we try to stay relevant as best we can. And we have a lot of regional hockey. But we've also created vehicles like Insider Trading, this podcast, amongst others, um, to try and make sure that we still stay relevant and to give the hockey fan across Canada uh, every ample opportunity to continue to get their news and information from us. And as, as in terms of going back to trade deadline day and free agent frenzy day, I will only say this. Um, in my mind, there are only two days of the year when there's a level playing field between us and our competition at Rogers or anywhere else for that matter. And that is free agent frenzy day and trade deadline day. And the reason I say it's a level playing field is because on those two days in particular, there's a lot of hockey news happening and hockey fans across Canada get to choose who they want to watch us or them. And even though we're, whatever, four years out from having lost our national rights, we still get substantial ratings for both Trade Deadline Day and Free Agent Frenzy. And for the majority of hockey fans who are watching that stuff on Trade Deadline Day or July 1, um, we're still a place where people go to get their news and information. So we take pride in that, and that's not taking anything away from our good friends across the way. And, uh, hey, listen, my son works for Rogers, and uh, I'm thrilled and, and happy and proud for him that he does. And it, it's a great opportunity for him, and uh, they do a great job on a lot of stuff. So, um, but, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm real happy that uh, here we are four years out, and uh, I don't think TSN hockey is, uh, has shriveled up and disappeared like a lot of people thought that it might. Next question in a similar vein comes from Jason Stevenson in Muskoka. Hey, Bob, you talked about TSN TV rights last episode, and it made me think, how much longer are you under contract with TSN, and how does it work with you also working for NBC Sports? Always enjoy the show. Thank you. That from Jason in Muskoka, and that came in on Friday, November 17th, 2017, so just last November. Um, yeah, okay, Let's uh, without going into details, because uh, I don't think I'm supposed to disclose contract information, I, I do feel secure in saying this. Um, after this season's over, I've got two years left on my contract, and as I've told many people, uh, the general plan right now is to uh, retire, or semi-retire, I guess I would say, uh, to get out of the day-to-day grind of uh, 
of having to watch games every night and do five radio hits a day and be the insider and try to know everything that's going on. Um, you know, I'll be 64 years old when my contract expires. And uh, I've got a lot of plans that don't include working as many hours and as many days, 10 months of the year, as I currently do. So that's kind of the plan, all things being equal. And uh, I know life's fragile and you don't look that far ahead, but uh, you always like to make some sort of plan. And and that's mine, is to semi-retire from the day-to-day being an insider um, in, uh, in, in two years, which coincidentally could be, conceivably, right around the time there could be an NHL lockout. So I hope not, but uh, if there is, I'm not covering it. Um, as for the NBC sports thing, when, when we lost the rights, the national rights at TSN a number of years ago, and we didn't have our midweek Wednesday game anymore, um, NBC sports came calling and wanted to find out whether, and asked TSN whether myself and uh, Darren Dreger would be amenable to coming into Stamford, Connecticut, uh, to the NBC Sports Network studios um, once a week for their uh, for their Wednesday night national game on NBCSN, and uh, TSN was uh, wonderful enough to uh, facilitate that, and uh, so we're four years into that now, and uh, um, I do every Wednesday morning fly to LaGuardia, grab an airport hotel car service up to Stanford in, do the NBC rivalry night game Wednesday night, uh, car service back to the hotel, fly home on Thursday morning, and uh, that's kind of my routine or Darren's routine for the uh, the 26 Wednesdays during the uh, the NHL regular season. So it's awesome, and, and, and maybe the best part for me was when we lost the rights, the, one of the hardest things for me to stomach about losing National Hockey League rights was that we no longer were able to do the draft. And historically, NBC always picked up the, the, the TSN version of the draft when we had the rights. When TSN stopped having the draft rights, um, then uh, NBC decided that they would mount their own telecast using a lot of the TSN people, so myself and Craig Button and, and others. Um, so it's fantastic, and I get to continue to broadcast the draft, but... Uh, to the American audience instead of the Canadian audience, but uh, everybody knows how much I love the draft and how much I love being part of that broadcast. And and I do have plans if they want me um, beyond my retire my semi retirement in two years uh, to continue to do things like the World Juniors and or the draft uh, for NBC and draft rankings for TSN. But uh, that'll be up to TSN and NBC to decide whether they want me. Okay, uh, next question. This one coming on June 21st, 2017. This comes from Moisha. Uh, hey, Bob, big fan. Really happy you started doing a podcast. In episode 16, you were saying how you were spending a lot of time looking for flights and hotels. Just have a question about that. Doesn't TSN take care of that for you and everyone else? Or do they make arrangements for you guys, but if you don't like them, you're on your own? Thank you for doing the pod. I hope you keep going for a long time. Well, um, short answer as to why I get as involved as I do in the travel for the Stanley Cup final is, is two things. Number one, it's really, really, really complex. And it's got to be done really quickly because you don't find out until a certain period of time who's going to be in the final. And there's only so many flights and, and there's a whole bunch of variables. 
and there's a whole bunch of us that it's got to be done for. And the second reason why I get as directly involved in the travel as I do is because I'm a little bit of a control freak or maybe a lot of a control freak. I should point out that we've got two lovely ladies at TSN. We call them the two Maddies, Madeline and Madeline. And uh, they do all our travel and they do an absolutely fantastic job. And I, I don't care what company you work for. If you want to find the most overworked, underappreciated person in the company, I guarantee you it's the person who has to do the travel. Because by the very nature of travel, things get screwed up. Flights get canceled. Things get mixed up. There's just so many things that can go wrong. And when things go wrong, it's always the travel person who takes it on the chin. And that's not really fair. And also, in big companies, it's amazing how much work and volume of work that they have to do. So, uh, as I say, I try to be as helpful as I can and supportive. And one of the ways we can do that, um, but it's also, as I said, because I'm a control freak. And if you allow the travel people just to make your reservations for you, they may not know your various idiosyncrasies, what time you want to leave in the morning, um, what hotel you want to stay at. All these things are really, really important to facilitate doing a good job. And and I, uh, I, I mean, outside of being a control freak, that's a big part of it. You, you don't want to be traveling at the wrong part of the day and miss news conferences and availabilities. And you've got to know your schedule better than anybody else. So you need to go and, and, and do as much detail work on the flights. And also, I want to make sure we get our points. And I want to make sure it's an Air Canada or it's partner. And I want to make sure it's Starwood Hotel and get the SPG. And, well, there's a lot of that goes into it, too. But uh, James Duthie appreciates the time and effort I put into uh to organizing that, and I appreciate the time and effort that the two Maddies and everybody else connected with TSN Travel, including our good friend Nicole, do for us to make sure that we're comfortable and well taken care of, and we are most certainly that. Next question comes from Gurpreet in Winnipeg. This one came in December 6, 2017. Hey, Bob, how come you appear on all TSN radio stations across Canada except for TSN 1290 in Winnipeg? Well, surprise, surprise, here we are in 2018, and who's a regular on TSN Ray 1290 uh, than me? That's me, yep, every Monday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Central Time in Winnipeg. Every Friday morning, I'm on, uh, on the, the big show with Jim Toth and, and Troy Westwood and the, uh, and the boys. So, um, yeah, you know what? I had occasionally done one-offs when uh, Gary Lawless was still in Winnipeg in the Hustler and Lawless show. They'd have me off, have me on here or there, but uh, nothing regular. And it was, I guess, tough to figure out what schedule worked for them, what schedule worked for me. But um, I was really happy when uh, when uh, Chris Brook contacted me uh, early this new year and said, "Hey, what what can we make happen in Winnipeg?" So, yeah, now I'm on in Vancouver. I'm on in Edmonton. I'm on in Winnipeg. I'm on, obviously, in Toronto. Um, I'm on in Ottawa. And um, I'm on in Montreal. So um, all the TSN stations across Canada that have an NHL city, um, I'm on in. Calgary's the only market I'm not in, but there's no TSN radio there. So there you have it. Next up is a Saturday, May 13th, 2017 question from Lee Como who felt the need to include his age, 42 at the time, from Dundas, Ontario. Uh, my name's Lee Como, huge fan of yours since the hockey news days. 
Loving the Bobcast. Keep up the good work. My question is, have you ever been approached by a professional hockey club to work for them in any capacity? If not, would you consider it if the right opportunity arose? Thanks very much. That from Lee Como in Dundas, Ontario. Uh, The short answer to the question, Lee, is no, I've not been approached by a professional hockey club to work. The closest it ever came, and I don't really believe it was a legitimate offer, was when the late, great Pat Burns, when he was uh, leaving TSN uh, panel work to be the head coach of the Boston Bruins, he asked me if I would like to be his assistant coach. Now, keep in mind at the time, I think Pat's definition of an assistant coach was somebody who could go drinking with him, and I think I would fit the bill on that front. But uh, no, I've never been asked... um, not going to lie, you know, deep down, there's part of me. When I used to coach my kids' hockey team, when my, when my son Mike and Sean, sons Mike and Sean were young, and I coached, I loved coaching. And, and there was a part of me that thought, I would, I would so love to be a professional hockey coach. It's just such a challenging job. It's so hard. And I obviously I had no credentials other than coaching my kids' hockey, and I wasn't about to give up my, uh, my day job to launch a coaching career at, at, at that age. Um, and then after a, I stopped coaching kids hockey and, and uh, was, you know, just doing my job and not as involved with on the kids front, I started to think, Hey, how cool would it be to be a general manager in the national hockey league? And, and like a lot of people, um, I, I think yeah, I could do that. Yeah, absolutely. I could do that. Um, but Nobody ever asked, and I wasn't about, as I said, what happens in a, in a career like mine, you, you, you do it long enough, you keep getting you know bigger and better at it, and you start to make more money, and that's the key. It, it got to the point where the money I was making in my day job working at TSN would be far, that if I wanted to, if I wanted to go into management or coaching at any level of hockey, be it the NHL or below that, you're taking a giant pay cut. I mean, you really have to have an incredible passion for it because you, you don't start at the top. I mean, you, you don't go from coaching uh, the Whitby Peewees to uh, an assistant coaching job at 250K. Trust me on that. Um, but um, so, so, yeah, in the back of my mind, I always kind of thought that would be cool. It'd be cool to be a general manager. It'd be cool to be a head coach in the National Hockey League. But I never felt comfortable taking the plunge and... Uh, and and if if I had of I probably would have had to have done it fairly early in my career, uh, before it kind of took off. Because once it took off, I mean, I was happy doing what I was doing, and uh, had a family to take care of. And uh, I'm not sure I could go to my wife and kids and say, "We're going to drastically reduce our income because I want to be a coach or a, a general manager in the National Hockey League." So that's uh, that's about that. Here's an interesting one. This one from Anthony Kelly. It came in December 8th, 2016. Hello, Bob. As a guy who does television almost daily, it has to be in a suit, shirt, and tie. Roughly how many suits, different shirts, and ties do you own? Also, Bob, do you have a go-to color? Is it a color you think you look good in or your wife told you so? That from Anthony Kelly. A couple of things on uh, fashion. Um, Never used to be much of a guy that was into fashion. In fact, Gord Miller would be the first to tell you. In the, when I first started doing television in the late 80s and the early 90s, I was like the worst dresser ever. I just wore like a pair of Dockers, <laughs> like a pair of khaki pants, uh, a pair of loafers, 
Um, I'd buy some cheap button-down shirt. And the best part of working at TSN in the late 80s and early 90s was they gave you a TSN blazer, the old black blazer with the, the old logo on it, very cool jacket. And they'd also give you the ties and the shirts that go with it. So it was cool. You'd, so that's why I, I wore khaki pants or dockers or whatever most of the time and didn't really dress up in, in a suit per se. And I wasn't really much of a fashion plate. And if I look back at pictures from back then, I look like a goddamn mess, to be honest with you. Um, as time wore on, and and maybe it's because um, fashion skipped a, a generation um, in my family. My dad was an absolute clothes horse. Um, he always got dressed up. He worked in a factory, and he wore a tie to work every day. Um, he always was impeccably uh, outfitted, uh, had multiple fedoras, um, camel jackets, you name it, um, overcoats, and the best of everything, suits, ties, tie bars, uh, tie clips. Um, he was dressed to the nines and uh, was a real fashion plate, and it just never caught on to me. Now, um, if you've happened to see my son, Sean, who uh, does some work with Hockey Night in Canada and Rogers, um, he's, he's a fashion plate. He, uh, he's, he's right into it. That's, that's a big deal to him. And as he got to be more into it, um, he unquestionably got me more into it. So I should also thank Johnny Mathiodakis, who, uh, runs, um, Westbrook of Ancaster up on the mountain in Ancaster, Ontario, uh, just beside Hamilton. Uh, Johnny does, uh, the clothing for a lot of guys at TSN and he's taken great care of me over the years once I started to get into fashion. And even Johnny likes to laugh about how I never used to give a shit about, he'd give me a suit and I, yeah, that's fine, whatever. And he'd be tailoring it and I'd be, yeah, whatever, it looks fine. It's all good, didn't care. And then uh, suddenly I started, can you take that one in a little more? Can you make the pants a little shorter? Can you make the legs a little tighter? And uh, that was definitely the Sean McKenzie effect. And uh, Johnny jokes about that all the time. So I've got a closet full of suits. There's probably at least a dozen in there right now. But you, you do run through the suits in this business because last Stanley Cup final, I think, uh, especially doing with the Nashville being in the Cup final, we did a lot of location shooting from Tootsie's. And um, trust me, when you're doing panels out of Tootsie's um, in Nashville, um, I literally destroyed three perfectly good suits at Tootsie's. One of them on the roof, there was like oil pans everywhere up on the roof because all the cooking they do and the, the grease, it's everywhere. And I ended up with like grease stains all over like a fantastic suit that I had. And it still crushes me that it's got grease stains all over it. Um, the other ones just mostly were booze stains or your, your, your jacket would fall on the floor and never quite look the same again. So you do go through suits at an astonishing rate in this, um, in this business. And, and for a guy like myself whose weight tends to fluctuate a little bit, I've got my fatter suits and my less fat suits, and some of them fit at certain times of the year and some of them fit at other times of the year. Um, I try to keep things simple. I, I like simple fashion statements now, nothing to... Uh, most of my suits are solids. There are some checks. I don't like pinstripes. I'm not a pinstripe suit guy at all. Um, I try to uh, go mostly with a white shirt or... Um, nothing too earth shattering in terms of pattern on the shirt. Some checks sometimes, but mostly white shirt or a blue shirt. 
Um, and mostly solid ties, a little bit of check here and there. And just the simpler the better for me, but uh, to try to make sure it's fitted right. And uh, Johnny does a great job, and uh, Sean's a good inspiration. And uh, as I say, I went from being a guy who didn't give a crap about it to being someone who now really loves the exercise of going to Ancaster and getting all fitted out in some suits. And there's two or three times a year that I, I do it. And uh, it's always fun to put on a brand-new suit and look good. Next up is a uh, contract question from one of our favorite Bobcast listeners and one of the guys that supported the the Bobcast right from the get-go, and that will be Peter Harling from Kingston, Ontario. He's the uh, managing editor of Dauber Prospects. So by all means, check out Dauber Prospects. I assume I'm pronouncing that correctly. Anyways, uh, Peter's a a big fan of the show, and uh, so his question was, um, how does it work that teams can place players on unconditional waivers and terminate a contract such as Zayat Pagin with the Edmonton Oilers recently? And keep in mind, this came in in November of 2017, and I don't think I pronounced Zayat Pagan, Pagan with the Edmonton Oilers properly, but nevertheless... I'm under the impression that with the salary cap, teams can simply not terminate contracts and are obligated to see them through to conclusion. There are plenty of players with expensive long-term contracts that teams would love to get out from under, but cannot. I'm looking at you, Zach Parise, Andrew Ladd, and one-third of the Detroit Red Wings roster. I understand players like Nathan Horton and David Clarkson on LTIR are protected as injured players, but what about the healthy guys? Can you explain what the difference is? It was a real pleasure to meet you both at the Top Prospects game in Quebec and again at the draft in Chicago this summer. Your interview on my podcast, Dauber Prospects Radio, was a huge success in our top episode. Hope to have you back on again in the future sometime. Thank you for that and and for taking my question. Love the podcast and your entire body of work. You're an inspiration. Keep up the great work. That from Peter Harlings. Well, first off, Peter, thank you very much for the kind words. Thank you for having me on your Dauber Prospects Radio uh, and I'd be happy to do that again for you. We'll do it in the draft in Dallas if you're there. Um, now, as for the question, uh, and we get this a lot. I get a lot of waiver questions, and this one in particular. Well, if you can put a guy on what I used to call $125 waivers, unconditional waivers or $125 waivers, that's the, the waiver price a team would have to pay to claim them. And everybody used to joke on Twitter, I'd say, this guy's on $125 waivers, and everybody who ran a men's league team would say, we could claim that guy for $125, bucks. let us do it, um, which was always amusing. But here's the thing. You can't just terminate a guy's contract because you want to. You, you're right, Peter, you can't get out from underneath it. That's a binding agreement, and you're stuck with it on the salary cap. But if the player is prepared to walk away from the money owed, and the team is prepared to cut them loose, then you do have grounds for what we call mutual termination of a contract. And what most often happens is you've got a guy, quite often it's a European or a North American who wants to go to Europe. And he's playing in the American Hockey League and he doesn't like it. He figures he could make more money playing in in Germany in the DEL or go to Sweden or Switzerland or the KHL or wherever it may be. But he's under contract to his NHL team. So his agent goes to the team and says, hey, you've got this guy under contract. He doesn't really want to play in the American Hockey League anymore. Um, Would you just cut him loose and we'll walk away from the money that he's owed and let him go and sign and be free to play in Europe. And that's basically how it works. So as a rule, when you see a player on unconditional waivers, 
it means that he signed off on basically having his contract terminated because it's in his best interest to terminate that contract because he's got a better deal waiting for him in Europe or somewhere else. So that's basically how mutual agreement to terminate works and why these guys show up as unconditional waivers. Next question comes from Josh Baker in Inverary, Ontario. Hi, Bob. Having played minor hockey yourself and being a minor hockey parent in Ontario, what are your favorite hockey towns or rinks in the province? Oh, my goodness. There's too many to mention. Uh, one of the great things about being a hockey parent and, and being uh, playing in minor hockey is going into different barns. And I, I love the old barns. You show me a modern rink, like a brand-new community centre that's you know, bright lights and all the, the amenities, eh, no good. I want an old barn. And if it looks like a barn, so much the better. So where I played my peewee hockey, for example, and it still exists, I think, Scarborough Arena at the corner of Birchmount and Kingston Road in Scarborough. I played for the Scarborough Lions peewees in that rink. And uh, Brad Park's father, Bob, Bob Park, who was an insurance salesman at the time, he was my head coach. We played every Monday night at Scarborough Arena, and I love Scarborough Arena. And it was the coldest rink in the world. Um, put it up against almost anything um, as cold as Scarborough gets, and I realize people in Western Canada are going to be all over me, but trust me, it was the coldest rink I ever played in. And uh, it was always cool because our home night was Monday night, but the, and the, the game before us, like we played at like 7.30 on a Monday night, the 6 o'clock game on Monday night was the Scarborough Lion-Adams. And the Scarborough Lion-Adams had a player on the team by the name of Dave Keon Jr., who now, of course, works for the National Hockey League. You often see him in the timekeeper's bench at the Air Canada Centre. And um, so on those Monday nights, it was not unusual as we got to the rink to see Dave Keon in the old Scarborough Arena. And that was a great old barn. I loved it. And when my son Mike got to play junior A hockey for the St. Mike's Buzzers, um, then he would play the Wexford Raiders in a in a rivalry game at the Scarborough Arena. And I loved going to those St. Mike's Wexford games at the Scarborough Arena. Just awesome. And obviously the next segue then is St. Mike's Arena, Bathurston College, St. Michael's College. A great old barn, tremendous history. Um, obviously the, the, the history of, of St. Mike's and Tim Horton and Frank Mahovlich and everybody else that came through there on the way to the National Hockey League. And um, that St. Mike's buzzer dressing room, it's, it's awesome. All the players that have ever played there, their, their names are all in marker on the, uh, the, vent, the, the, the air conditioning and heating vents throughout the thing. Is, is All the names are, are in there, and it's uh, just a tremendous, uh, tremendous amount of tradition. In, in that rink, and I love going into St. Mike's. Um, another one is in Galt, uh, also known as Cambridge, after all the municipalities, Hespeler and Galt, and what have you, uh, amalgamated way back when. But the Galt rink is cool because from the outside, it looks like Maple Leaf Gardens. It looks like it's got that limestone brick, and it's really cool inside because uh, two, two people who played in Galt uh, and went on to the National Hockey League, um, one is Gordie Howe, of course, from Floral, Saskatchewan, but he played senior hockey in, in Galt before he went to the National Hockey League. So there's a giant portrait of Gordy on, uh, on one side of the flags at the end of the rink. And if I remember correctly, on the other side, it's Kirk Maltby. 
and uh, Kirk, obviously, that was his home rink, and uh, and uh, he gets equal billing with Gordie Howe, which I think is kind of cool. But anyways, uh, too, too numerous to mention all the great rinks, but as I say, uh, put me in an old barn anywhere, and that's where I'm most comfortable. Next one comes from Dave in New York City. This one from March 2nd, 2017, so a year ago, almost a year ago to the day uh, that I'm reading this. Uh, Good morning, Bob. Excellent work on yesterday on the trade deadline. That was last year, even though it was one of the slowest in history. Ask any hockey player for their memories from growing up, and they'll undoubtedly mention weekend tournaments with friends. For me, one of the finest memories was winning the Quebec Pee Wee tournament, while it was the consolation tournament, but nonetheless against the powerhouse CompuWare team in overtime after they'd crushed his 10-week, 10-1 the week prior in exhibition. You must have a stockpile of tales from youth tournaments, whether it be the Quebec Pee Wee Tournament, the Edmonton Brick Tournament in the West Edmonton Mall, or otherwise. Best young players you ever watched, question mark? Care to share some of the ones that stick out? Thanks, and keep up the great pod. That from Dave in New York City. Well, Dave, like you, the uh, probably the highlight of my minor hockey career, which was not very distinguished at all, was participating in the Quebec Pee Wee Tournament. I was there in 1968 playing for the Scarborough Lions that I talked about earlier that played out of Scarborough Arena. And Bob Park, as I said, Brad's dad, um, was our coach. And the only reason uh, our ragtag team that really probably wasn't good enough to be in the Quebec Pee Wee Tournament on our own merit the only reason we got to go was because the very first Quebec Pee Wee Hockey Tournament at the Colisée in Quebec City in 1959 was won by none other than the Scarborough Lions. And they were coached by none other than Bob Park. And uh, that was a team that featured Brad Park and Sillaps Jr. And uh, they won the Pee Wee Tournament that year. So the very first year of the Pee Wee Tournament, which is kind of cool. So the organizers told Bob Park, listen, uh, you're the, you, you've won the first Pee Wee Tournament. Anytime, anytime you want to come back to the Pee Wee Tournament with your team, you just let us know. So Bob had come out of coaching minor hockey retirement to take our ragtag team, and uh, he decided that he'd take them up on the offer. So we got to go to Quebec City. It was fantastic. We got to take the train down, got billeted in Quebec, had the game at the Colisée. It was fantastic. Now, things I'll, I'll talk about the difference between the Pee Wee tournament then and now. But um, we played at the Colisée, and uh, um, I can remember it was a full house, uh, not to see us. We were playing Peterborough. It was Scarborough Lions versus Peterborough in our game at the uh, Colisée. But the game before us was the Toronto Red Wing Pee Wee team, and uh, their sponsor was Swiss Chalet, and that was kind of a big deal at the time. Um, when I was growing up playing minor hockey in Toronto, the Toronto Marlies and the Toronto Red Wings were the, and the Young Nats were the, the, the two the, the, the big teams. And um, the Toronto Marlies uh, of, of that vintage were sponsored by Harvey's, and everybody knew the, the hamburger place, and so everybody knew them as, as the Harvey's guys. And, uh, and, and believe it or not, Swiss, uh, sorry, uh, the Red Wings were sponsored by Swiss Chalet. So they were the Swiss Chalet Toronto Red Wings. And, uh, the best player on the Red Wings that year was, uh, Dwight Dewey Foster, um, who went on to, uh, be a big time player with the Kitchener Rangers and had a career in the National Hockey League. And, uh, so as I say, they were playing a team and, and it happened that one of my friends, from around my neighborhood, one of my best friends at the time, Ron Walker, played 
for that uh, that that Red Wing Pee Wee team, and they were playing a team from Quebec City the game before us. So the rink was packed, and uh, a lot of it emptied out as soon as our game started. But uh, we lost 4-1 to Peterborough. I had a breakaway. I hit the knob on the goalie stick on the breakaway, and that was pretty much about as as much as uh, I can tell you about our Quebec Pee Wee uh, tournament. But nevertheless, it was uh, it was a fantastic experience. And and one of the big thrills of of my life was coming getting to come back to the Quebec Pee Wee tournament in the year 2000, coaching the Whitby Pee Wee team with my good friend Stu Seedhouse, who um, passed away this uh, last summer. And uh, working with my pal Kevin O'Brien and Ron Balcom and uh, all the guys that uh, ran our Pee Wee uh, Whitby Wildcat team, and uh, we got to go to the Pee Wee tournament. And again, maybe our team wasn't uh, as good as a lot of the teams that were there, but uh, the opportunity for my son Mike to get to play in that tournament, and for myself and Stu and Kevin and all our sons to play in it. And uh, I always remember being on the bench in the first game at the Coliseum. We were playing Fredericton, New Brunswick. We ended up beating them in the game. And uh, um, Stu's son, Steven Cito, scored the first goal of the game. And uh, Stu came over and shook my hand behind the bench while we were on the bench and said, it doesn't get any better than this, watching your kids score a goal at the Quebec Pee Wee Tournament. And uh, not long after that, my son Mike scored a goal, and I went over and shook his hand and said the same thing to him. So just kind of a cool memory for my uh, for my pal Stu who died last summer, and uh, that that was it's just a fantastic tournament, and it has changed so much. It's obviously so much more sophisticated now than it used to be, and um, uh, now they've got the new rink in Quebec and and all of that. But uh, when when I was playing in 1968, our exhibition games that they scheduled for you were at out at an outdoor rink where the snow was piled up literally 12 feet high around the uh, above the boards. That there was the boards, and then there was like another eight feet of snow that was like a board. It was like you know, being in the Coliseum, I guess. It was a huge wall of snow all the way around the arena, and uh, you played outdoors. And then by the time I got to two thousand, year two thousand, all the games were being played indoor at the mall, and that was kind of cool because we played an exhibition game against um, the team from Los Angeles, and. Uh, Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn's son Wyatt, the uh, Wyatt Russell, the goaltender, um, played for the LA team, and so we got to see Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn, and that was kind of cool for stargazing at the uh, at the mall in in Quebec City. So great times in minor hockey, and it doesn't get uh, doesn't get much better than that to do it as a as a player in 1968, and then to get to do it as a parent in 2000. And and poor Sean McKenzie, my other son, he got euchred out of. Uh, uh, a trip to the Quebec Pee Wee tournament. Um, his team was actually the, of, of Mike's team, my team when I played, and Sean's team, uh, coached by John Annis um, in 2003. Um, his was the team that deserved the most to be there because the team he played on had actually won some OMHA championships. But, um, and that was Sean's first year at AAA. And uh, he should have been going to Quebec. But that was the year that Hockey Canada changed the age groups. And they shifted everything by a year, so he his his age group effectively got screwed out of their Pee Wee year and a trip to the Quebec Pee Wee tournament. So uh, I think he's over it now, but uh, I'm not. This is the final mail it in March edition of the Bobcast question, and it's a good one. Uh, came in last April twenty third, two thousand and seventeen. 
Hey, Bob, it's Jenkins from Edmonton. I was just going through the great one stats on Hockey DB, and I noticed Wayne Gretzky played three games with the Peterborough Peets as a 15-year-old. How did the Sioux Greyhounds ever get his rights? I love this question because it's, uh, it's a great trivia question to ask people who were the two players taken ahead of Wayne Gretzky in the OHL draft. It's one that most people will never be able to answer. But what it really boiled down to is Wayne Gretzky wanted to leave. Remember when Walter Gretzky wanted to get Wayne out of Brantford because he thought there was too much focus, too much attention, needed to get him to a higher level of hockey. And he wanted to go and play uh, for the Young Nationals organization in the Metropolitan Toronto Hockey League back in the day. That was the 75-76 season. But minor hockey being minor hockey, um, the uh, the minor governing bodies of minor hockey wouldn't allow him to be transferred because he wasn't actually living there. So what they did um, was, hey, he's Wayne freaking Gretzky. He's not playing minor hockey. We'll play him Junior B with the Vaughn Nationals. So Wayne Gretzky went up and played, I believe, in 1975-76 um, for uh, the Vaughn Nationals. And uh, in any case, he um, was playing the next season um, for the Seneca Nationals, 76-77. Seneca Nationals happened to be affiliated with the Peterborough Peets. So 15-year-old Wayne Gretzky's playing Junior B for the Seneca Nationals, and the Peterborough Peets, as an affiliate, um, could call him up. So they called him up. He played three games with the Peets that year. He had zero goals. He had three assists for three points. But he was also subject to the 1977 OHL um, minor midget or priority selections, they called it. And that year, um, Wayne Gretzky was not the number one ranked guy. Uh, The number one ranked guy was uh, Tom McCarthy. And the Oshawa Generals had the first pick, and they took from the North York Rangers... Tom McCarthy. And of course, Tom McCarthy did go on to have a, a pretty good National Hockey League career. Although, it's a fascinating story if you don't have time, uh, we don't have time to talk about it right now, but Google Tom McCarthy Leavenworth Prison and uh, you'll see that Tom McCarthy ran afoul of the law, uh, learned his lessons well, and um, is uh, uh, contributing to society in a very strong fashion now, and uh, but did do time uh, for drug-related offenses um, back in the day and actually ended up in Leavenworth. But anyways, Tom McCarthy was a great player with the Oshawa Generals. He went number one to the Jennies. Let's go, you Jennies. Woo! Uh, you'd have to know what that, uh, if you don't know junior hockey history, I don't have time to explain it to you now. Uh, number two, Steve Peters went to the Niagara Falls Flyers. Now, um, he'd, uh, he had uh, played some, as a, some games as a 16-year-old in the, uh, in the OHL as he got called up. But um, he ultimately played for the Niagara Falls Flyers, but he got traded to the Oshawa Generals. He was drafted by the, I want to say, the, the Colorado Rockies. Um, I think he played two games in the National Hockey League and didn't do very well. And then this little skinny kid... And Wayne Gretzky got drafted number three by the Sioux Greyhounds. And I should point out at the time of the draft that people thought this was crazy, that this kid going up to play junior in the OHL, was called the OHA back then, but um, people thought he was going to get killed. And uh, all he did was win Rookie of the Year, tear up the league, and, uh, and bid adieu to junior hockey and go sign in the WHA. But that, that's always a good trivia question. Who are the two players taken ahead of Wayne Gretzky 
in the OHL priority selections, Tom McCarthy and uh, Steve Peters. Um, rest of that draft, if you're interested, number four, Jimmy Mellon went to Windsor. Number five, Kerry Williston went to Kitchener, ultimately got traded for Paul Coffey up to the Sioux. I was up there. Uh, the late Mark Reeds went number six overall to Peterborough. Bruce Clements to Kingston. Stewie Gavin, still around on the hockey scene. Uh, the Toronto Marlies, number eight. Some other notable names. Another uh, guy, Billy Kitchen, went uh, 11th overall to the Ottawa 67s. And uh, Billy Kitchen, like uh, Mark Reeds, is no longer with us. Um, so, yeah, so there you go. Some, uh, some minor junior hockey history for you, the final edition of the Mail It In March Bobcast. So so that's it. I, I hope you uh, you enjoyed it somewhat, albeit uh, a mailed-in, clean-out-the-archives version of it. I uh, should point out that, uh, as I say, we were uh, taping this on uh, Thursday, March the 1st, but it is the Friday, March the 9th edition of the Bobcast. I'll be home from Turks and Caicos, all things being equal, as long as I didn't get eat, eaten by a shark. Um, or get a bad piece of shellfish, um, because I do have a shellfish allergy. Uh, I hope I brought my EpiPen to the, 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 the conch shack in, uh, in Turks and Caicos. But anyways, I'll be back in the country on the March 11th. I've got a busy week after that, though. I mean, we got a Leaf game, I think, on the Monday night. I've got insider trading on the Tuesday. On the 14th, I'm back to NBC. On Thursday, I think we got another insider trading. I've got to do that. It's hockey. Um, a lot of a lot of work for a mail it in March week, but uh, I should point out Friday March fifteenth, Boca baby on the flight to uh, Fort Lauderdale uh, to get in early for the pre scout for the general managers meetings, and that my friend is how you do mail it in March. Have a good one. Okay, that's it for the At TSN Hockey Every Other Friday Bobcast. Hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like to submit a question on hockey or just about anything else, email it to bobcast at bellmedia.ca. That's B-O-B-C-A-S-T at bellmedia.ca, and we'll try to get it on the next Bobcast. Be sure to follow me on Twitter. That's At TSN Bob McKenzie. And for great hockey coverage all year round, follow the At TSN Hockey Twitter account and make tsn.ca your source for all things hockey, especially for the Tuesday and Thursday editions of Insider Trading with myself, Darren Dreger, and Pierre Lebrun. Thanks for tuning into the Bobcast. See you next time, and have a great weekend.